What's up, everybody? This is the Canes Insight Podcast brought to you by Caneswear. I am your host, D Money, flying from the Miami Beach studio today. Uh, we'll be in the normal studio later this week, but wanted to cut um, some of an emergency pod on Miami's newest defensive coordinator, Lance Gidry. And to do that, we had to bring in the bigger name, Lance, which is Lance Roffers, the father of Roffer Metrics. You've read his work on Kane's Insight. You've seen him on OBB, seen him on Twitter, Hurricane Vision, breaking down uh, Miami's play-by-play as detailed and granular as you can get, but also educating folks and making it easy to understand. I know I learn a lot every time I read Lance's stuff. He is the absolute best in the business, and he's got a lot to say about Miami's newest defensive coordinator. What's going on, Lance? Hey, how's it going, D-Money? Thanks for having me on again. It's been a while since uh, we chatted, so I'm uh, excited to be on and uh, happy to have some news, you know, some coaching news. You, you get Mario goes a little slow on these sometimes. He went pretty quick with this one, so gave us uh, gave us a chance to have some excitement here. So, Yeah, I mean, last, th- last time I saw you was halftime of the FSU game. You know, I just got in a fight with my wife in the stands, plus Miami was getting smoked. So I looked like one of those guys from All Quiet in the Western Front, you know, when I was talking to you. So I apologize. The first time I meet you in person, and I was like totally blank and 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 shaken up. So uh, I apologize for that first impression. You know, I got to say, most of us kind of felt that way, right, at halftime of that game. We were hoping for a little bit more, you know. Uh, this time last year, you know, we were kind of clowning on Florida State, right, and they turned the tables on us a little bit in that game. But uh, hopefully we'll be out for revenge this year, so. Yeah, and Lance Gidry, defensive coordinator, is going to be a big part uh, of that adjustment. So just a quick background on him. Uh, defensive coordinator at Marshall last year. Has, has had a long career, uh, mostly at the G5 SES level. Uh, very, very successful. A lot, of, a lot of top defenses. Has some head coaching experience as well. Last year's defense at Marshall was really his crowning achievement. I'll pull up, pull up some numbers. Uh, but you're talking about first in the nation in Third down defense, which is one of the most critical stats there is. Second in defensive stop rate. Fourth in efficiency defense. Fifth in turnovers gained. Sixth in pass efficiency, a stat where Miami was horrible this year despite NFL talent. Uh, you know, Rushing defense, sixth. Scoring defense, seventh. Yards per play, ninth. Sacks, ninth. Interceptions, tenth. I mean, pretty much every category that matters. Uh, top ten nationally. And, of course, the big upset win against Notre Dame. Uh, just some general background, Lance, before we jump into some specifics. I talked to some folks, uh, you know, asked around folks who played under uh, Gidry, people from the coaching community who knew him. But the, cons- the constants you get, number one, great guy, connects with players at an unusual level. Uh, he's someone that can relate to players. Um, I was told he comes from a you know, similar background to a lot of these players, so he can relate on that level in a way that other defensive coordinators maybe cannot. Uh, that was a quote from one of the former players uh, that he's – he, he's big on defense with attitude, DWA. You see it on Twitter as, as his sort of slogan. That's what he's about. Uh, it speaks for itself. Uh, but, again, great guy. A lot of people think this is a, a big hire for Miami, uh, somewhat of an interesting hire because he's not a, a power five guy, but someone who really I've not heard a bad word from from coach other coaches and from people who played under him, and that's usually not the case. Usually somebody has a bad experience and will say something, but people were pretty unanimous uh, loving this pickup. Uh, for the Miami Hurricanes. So that's the general stuff, but you dug into the film. Macro level, how would you describe this defense and your impression watching the film? Yeah, so the the just general, off-the-cuff, pretty uh, overview of, of what the defense looks like. 
it's aggressive to the max, right? So there, this is going to be a nine, nine and a half on 10 scale of aggression. They really are looking to make the quarterback super uncomfortable in the pocket, right? That's what they want to do first and foremost. They really are playing the pass first. And if, if the running back gets the ball on the way, you know, they're trying to, to really, you know, end his life at that point. So that is basically – uh, an overview of what he wants to do at all times. He wants to put pressure. He wants to make the offense make a play. He wants to dictate the terms to the offense uh, quite a bit more than what you see from Steele's defense last year, which was very much read and react, right? Allow you to move the ball between the 20s, try and stiffen in the red zone. Those kinds of things rely on mistakes from the offense. Uh, this defensive coordinator really wants to force the offense to actually make the mistakes based on uh, his aggression. We heard a lot of those things with, with Manny Diaz, who, you know, Manny Diaz had some great defenses in Miami. I know it's kind of a bad word to say, but he had some defenses that played a lot better than what we saw last year, and then also a Penn State, a top 10 defense. What would you say are the similarities and differences between what uh, Gidry's doing and what Manny's doing? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you make that comparison, right? Because as I'm watching it, I see a lot of the same core principles as far as wanting to, you know, get upfield and be aggressive and cause havoc. Havoc's really the word that you kind of think of when you think of a Manny defense, uh, Diaz defense. Kind of the same with Gidry, right? He really is looking to create havoc. But I'll tell you the big thing that I saw on film that stood out immediately, right, is there are guardrails in place on what is it that can significantly hurt that defense, whatever the call is, right, whatever the blitz is, whatever the, the movement Really what they like to do up front is they like to uh, play a lot of games. They like to do what are loopers. Um, and what that really entails is your defensive tackle looping around one direction and your edge looping the other. Maybe you have a linebacker come behind it. But what is so important when you do that is you have to have two key elements for your defense to remain sound uh, playing those tactics. One, you have to have someone who sets the edge, right? So you have to replace that edge player, uh, you know, if, if your looper's looping inside and he's your edge player normally, and he's going to be your force guy. And whenever I say something like force guy, really what he means to do is force the runner back into what his pursuit is. And that leads me into that second one, right? You've got to have a pursuit player who replaces your inside defensive tackle because he's going to be your pursuit player down the line. Uh, you know, on any kind of normal play uh, where you're not doing games with your front, right? And Gidry did an excellent job of putting guardrails in place for what is it that would really hurt me on this play. And I'll just use a, a an example play from Notre Dame. The Notre Dame game, you know, it's third and 13, which is an area that really hurt Miami last year, in my opinion, more than any other was third and longs. They allowed deep or they allowed offenses to really like, you know, maybe get that 10, 11, 12 yards if they didn't get all of the yards. Right. And then that allows you to try and go for it on fourth down. So that's that's kind of something that offenses are doing now more and more is trying to pick up most of it and then get it on the fourth down. And that really hurt Miami a lot. So in this game, you had third and 13 against Notre Dame. They did have a quarterback who was limited passing in that game. I think Notre Dame ended up changing quarterbacks later in the year. But in this game, they had more of a running quarterback. And so what they did was, you know, they put five on the line to do a, what's, what we call a simulated pressure, right, where you don't know exactly which guys are coming. They bailed one out, which just basically means he drops back into coverage. So they did rush four, and they looped both of those uh, sets, those pairs of defensive tackles and defensive edges on the defensive line, right? So the edges come inside, the defensive tackles go outside. We call that looping. 
And what he did very well was make sure that on both sides, he had that edge set, right? Especially on the right side, this quarterback's right-handed, right? So where can the quarterback hurt me if I get out of my lane or I don't get to him with pressure, right? Well, to the right side, right? Because a quarterback who's right-handed wants to move right, get outside of the pocket, get outside of that edge. And then a lot of times you saw that with Miami last year, you saw those big plays from quarterbacks breaking outside to their strong hand, the right hand. So he overloaded that uh, with an edge player who was not trying to get to the quarterback, right? He was actually trying to get up field and set an edge and then pinch back inside. That's knowing exactly what you don't want to happen, right? You don't want that right-handed quarterback to get outside. And then you have a pursuit player come in behind it that uh, would stop the quarterback from stepping up into that area that was vacated by the edge player setting a hard and exaggerated edge, right? He did the same thing on the other side and then ran zone in the middle, right? What he's inviting is that quarterback to scramble left. And that's exactly what the quarterback did against this defense. The quarterback scrambled left. They tackled him after five yards. Now it's fourth and eight. You're not going for that most of the time. They had to punt, right? That was something that really stood out to me as I watched this game were those guardrails that were set into place on what can hurt me on the defensive call that I have, right? And no one's going to argue that Marshall had better talent than Notre Dame, you know, in this game, despite the fact that Notre Dame was a little limited uh, at the quarterback position. Overall, they should be able to just line up and beat a Marshall talent most of the time, right? And you really saw that in particular on their blitz packages and the way that they played games with the quarterback to really confuse him. Yeah, it's funny. You always read about Belichick's defense going back to that St. Louis Rams game when he took away Marshall Falk, and it's always he makes the offense play left-handed, which you're describing. He literally made the quarterback play, you know, play almost left-handed, you know, at least going left and taking him out of his out of his zone. So that's that's interesting. And yeah, third and thirteen uh, killed Miami. Or, you know, third and long killed Miami last year, and you go to the number one third down defense in the country. You know, obviously that speaks volumes. You mentioned the front and the games that are played. One thing that just visually jumps out when you look at at Marshall, the ends are standing up a lot of the time. So you're about two down linemen, edges standing up. Um, the natural inclination, you know, I, not, me not being used to seeing that, is are they going to have the leverage? And I don't, I mean leverage, you know, body leverage to to set edges and to and to be physical if they need to, uh, just because it's so it's different than what we're used to seeing in Miami. How did you see that front playing out with the so often two down linemen and then the defensive ends standing up like outside linebackers? Well, first off, good eye, right? That's you identified what the problem is with playing two down and two up, right? Those stand up uh, rushers. What it does is it allows them to be able to fake rushing, right? So they can play those games that I talked about, right? So what you do when you do a simulated pressure is you tend to walk guys up to the line of scrimmage. You only plan to bring four or five rushers, right? But you may show the threat of six or seven. And it's trying to confuse the quarterback or make him rush his read, right? And what standing them up allows you to do is to back them out into zone coverage or drop out of there a lot easier than if they are a down lineman, right? But you identified it exactly. What's the downside to that is you do give up some leverage, right? Whenever you're in a three-point stance or a two-point stance, whichever one you decide to use, you know, it allows you to get underneath the offensive lineman and have leverage on setting those edges a little bit. They did tend to rely on uh, shooting gaps and then backside pursuit to set that edge, right? So 
in this defense, your defensive backs have to tackle. If you can't tackle on the edges, you know, as a defensive back uh, in Gidry's scheme, you're not going to play. It really is as simple as that. Uh, we saw, you know, 190 pound, 185 pound players on film setting edges or being forced players in this defense. Now, do I expect them to run that two down front all the time here at Miami? I do not. I think that the, that a lot of that was trying to, you know, account for the fact that they were a small defense. Marshall was very small on film. It was glaring how small they were on their front. It was, you know, they had a 280-pound nose tackle, 230-pound ends, very small. And what they were trying to do, you know, is, is use that half second that they gain from an offensive line not knowing exactly who's coming and where they're coming from to allow them to get the jump on them and shoot those gaps and, and use that to their advantage just a little bit. They were very smart with that, and they were very, very aggressive, uh, you know, on the edges with their corners and safeties being able to tackle, right? So that's something that you're going to need to see from Miami's back end is the ability to tackle in the scheme. Yeah, and then standing up, I mean, Jafari Harvey comes to mind as someone who I think he's probably better standing up than in the stands, at least, you know, that's going to be his career path. Cyrus Moss, who has did not make a huge impact last year. That could be something for him. Even Messador, he's heavy, but he was a linebacker, an off-ball linebacker in high school, and he grew into defensive lines. So, you know, maybe he could be somebody who can who can drop him. He's a football player overall, so he's someone I'm, I'm keeping an eye on in this scheme as, as one of our best players. Defensive tackles position that we're hearing a lot about um, just because the loss of Daryl Jackson and the fact that we got a Leonard Taylor, you got a Branson Dean, you got – Harrison Hunt, you got a lot of guys that uh, a Thomas score that they want to get upfield. They're twitchy and athletic. They're maybe lacking in girth and just the width and the and the stoutness of a Daryl Jackson. So, how are those guys, in your view? Obviously, G five personnel different, but how do you think those guys might fit into this kind of front? Yeah. So you mentioned Mesador earlier as a as a person who might stand up. I see him as as one who's going to be one of those two or three down often because uh, a Gidry defense on film loves to run a four eye technique or they love to run five tech over the tackle, you know, and use them to free up those those smaller rushers that are going to shoot gaps, do some of those things. When you are looping and stunting and doing some of the games that they do up front, what you're trying to do is get two offensive linemen to block one guy and then get another free rusher, right? And and you do that by having somebody who can then still hold the point of attack, you know, at the line of scrimmage with two uh, people who have taken him, right? And Mesador can really do that in that four-eye. And then another key with this defense is having an active three technique. I think Leonard Taylor has an opportunity to make a lot of money in this scheme, right? Because what is he good at, right? He's good at getting off the ball, getting upfield, and and identifying. He sees the ball. That's something that separates him from a lot of these other twitchy three technique type guys. Is he can still find the ball and finish a play, or at least force him back into his help. That's something we saw, you know, Taylor do quite a bit of last season. I think he's going to make a lot of money in this scheme, just being able to split those double teams and split those gaps as they use his athleticism and do some of those things. They did not have a 320 pound nose tackle on film, you know, at Marshall, they had one of those 280 pound five ten types, you know, who could use his leverage, probably a former wrestler type, 
um, you know, that just enjoyed that dirty work and that scrappiness in there. That's something you're going to need to see, you know, the defensive line of Miami embrace if they run the exact same scheme that he ran at Marshall last year. I think Miami has the personnel to do everything that Guidry wanted to do. I think they're set up better to run this than what Kevin Steele wanted to run last year, right? If you look at those Auburn defenses that Kevin Steele ran, you know, he had those jumbo ends, those 290, 300-pound Marlon Davidson types and the Derrick Browns inside, you know, that are top 10 picks at the NFL level, and they just make things so much easier for those linebackers. Well, Marshall didn't have that, and what Guidry had to do was kind of scheme to overcome that a little bit, and they were fantastic against the run. They were not just, you know, this big play, intercept the ball type team. They were fantastic against the run. There was only one team who ran the ball well against them at all last year, and that was Georgia Southern, right? And that's what they do. You know, they run that that kind of veer option type offense that, that really looks at running the ball, and they scored 10 points, right? So, um, to me – Miami is set up with the personnel to run exactly what Guidry wants to run here with better talent and not have to play quite as many games and not have to blitz quite as often as he did at Marshall. I, I think he's a seamless fit based on what I saw. You know, I watched two different games with him and I, I wasn't super familiar with him before doing so. And after doing so, I'm like, I don't know how this guy hasn't gotten snapped up by a larger program beforehand. I think I have some theories, you know, after the fact where we learned there might've been some stuff off the field years ago, you know, that maybe held him back a little bit, but on film and what you hear, you know, from his former players and things like that, I think he's a great fit here because, you know, he, he's also got a recruiter personality from everything that I hear. You know, I have kind of a source too, right? Where everybody's got sources nowadays. Right. But uh, you know, I know somebody who knew him at his Western Kentucky days. Right. And uh, you know, said exactly like what you did, that the players loved him. I, I got, he's Cajun to the core, you know, whatever that means, but uh, he's all about, you know, that kind of lifestyle and, and just being, you know, part of the group and um, you know, I'm excited for him. So hopefully, hopefully he is able to kind of recreate some of those things that you saw as Marshall, as far as, you know, that third down defense and, and uh, you know, some of those takeaways. Yeah. From a cover standpoint. Now you mentioned this is a kind of the, even though they were great against the run, very much focused on stopping the pass mm-hmm. uh, by design. Um, you know, I spoke to my, my, my coaching, one of my coaching buddies who watched them on film and he said, he, you know, saw the all 22 and he said, you know, mostly quarters coverage, a lot of variability. Those were the two things that jumped out at him um, as far as you know, it, different looks, but mostly quarters in terms of the coverage. Um, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of quarters coverage? You know, it's the most popular coverage in college football, uh, mm-hmm. but what, what, what would you say are some of the characteristic features for someone who may not be up on all these terms as much as the average Joe? Yeah, so it's versatile, right? You know, running quarters is versatile. It allows you to, you know, allows you to do two things. You can squat your corners. Uh, you know, on those hitches because you've got a, you've got two extra, you know, deep uh, responsibility individuals who can clean up if they do end up getting you deep. Right. Which will happen sometimes if you squat on on hitches. Um, hitch is really just kind of a short route. You know, think of it like maybe eight yards upfield and then turn and come back to right, catch the six. And go. Um, and so what corners can do is, is squat on that a little bit. They, they squat outside. Uh, it allows you to get four deep and then buzz the flats either with ends, you know, like your athletic types, like your Nigel Kelly's and your Mosses and, and those kinds of individuals um, to stop some of those, you know, dump off swings, things like that. And then your corners have to tackle or your safeties have to tackle as well. 
And then, you know, the other thing that it does is it allows eyes on quarterbacks, right? So, you know, a lot of times you're able to run that in a zone standpoint. And so you can see the quarterback, right? You can see if he takes off, which helps with the quarterback run game. You can see the ball, which really is where you get those turnovers, right? Um, you know, if you run just pure man-to-man 75, 80, 90% of the time, you're going to get fewer interceptions. And that's just the truth because the corner at that point or the individual in coverage has his back turned quarterback right and so um, that's another of the big advantage which is why you see so many uh, college teams run it the other is its simplicity right you can teach uh, you know the the coverage rules which are landmarks and, and different things that are kind of like an if-then flow chart uh, for a corner or a safety to have to do they're pretty easy to teach that and install that type of coverage most of these players have been doing it since high school um, so again you want to you want to really keep things simple so that you can play fast. That's something that I've heard as I've listened to Coach Gidry a little bit here in the time preparing for this podcast, that he talks about wanting his players to play fast. I've yet to hear a coach say, <laughs> I don't want to be aggressive or I want to play slow, you know, so keep that in mind as well. But those are the things that he talks about as his core principles. So. We're going to continue with a deep dive in the numbers. First, I want to tell you, my friends at Underdog Sports, remember promo code CIS, you get $200 free to play, fantasy drafts, over-unders on the Super Bowl, NBA, NHL, MMA. Get playing right away. Promo code CIS, get $200 free. Help us, but really help you with that $200 free at Underdog. We'll take a quick little break, hear from our friends at Caneswear, and then we'll come right back to some detailed number stock. Tell you about our friends at Caneswear. They got, to me, my favorite product that they put out in years, which is the Canes female starter jacket put some pictures up on on the video if not check it out on the website i'm buying one for my wife for valentine's day you know she might want something a little more romantic but that's what she's getting 130 bucks they got it in white they got it in black i mean really cool design fits really well you can see it it's it's unbelievable product uh, the best i've seen in a long time get at canesware.com or in davy in the brick and mortar store uh, also canesware cares uh, doing a uh, squares contest for the Super Bowl. Pick the score, buy a square, $10. All the money goes to the Dolphins Cancer Challenge. Uh, so help a great cause, uh, help raise some money, and uh, show your love for the Canes, and potentially win a $50 Canesware gift certificate if you hit the right score on the square. Again, you can go to canesware.com for that information or follow the information here on the video in front of you uh, to sign up. All right, so we talked about the strengths of this defense, but no defense is perfect. Every decision a defensive coordinator makes has sort of a cost-benefit analysis there. So what are some of the the downsides and the risk of this style of defense? Yeah, so anytime you're going to play, you know, ultra-aggressive like they are, right, if you, if you guess wrong or if you get out of spot, you can really get popped for a big play, right? So one of the things that you saw a lot was you saw the edges, they were ultra aggressive at trying to attack the read on the read option, right? So, uh, you know, the, the edge crashed on the running back over and over and over on film, right? And the quarterback was able to pull it and get a soft edge and, you know, get nine, 10, 11, 12 yards. That was something I saw over and over and over again. You've really got to kind of, you know, tone that aggression down just a little bit when it comes to attacking that, you know, dive or, or give on the, on the read option in this scheme. Uh, you know, another is you will get beat deep on the, in this scheme. Some uh, based on the fact that, you know, you're going to jump a lot. They are so aggressive on those on outside, 
they really look to get interceptions against them uh, that way. And then thirdly, they're so aggressive and handsy, uh, you know, in the secondary. They did have 24 first downs given up defensively. They had a defensive first down given up in every single game this season. Um, so, you know, you're going to see that a little bit. You're going to see some of those pass interferences. You're going to see, you know, some of those offsides from just ultra aggression. Um, to me, you know, I always want to lose, you know, aggressively. I want to lose because somebody, you know, uh, got me rather than me just sitting back and waiting on them to make a mistake. But that is definitely a downside to this defense. You know, the other is, you know, whenever you, you talked about it earlier, you know, if you're going to stand so many people up and bring them in and out, right, if the offense correctly identifies, they're going to have a long time, you know, to pick apart your zone scheme over the middle of the field. And if you've got any kind of tight end or slot receiver, they can really hurt you, you know, if they do block it up. It, one of the big differences from Manny's defense to Steele's that was just very noticeable is you saw a lot of Gilbert Frierson. With Manny, that type of body, as far as the Sam, striker, whatever you want to call it, star. Uh, last year, saw a lot to Corey Couch. And at times, I felt he was probably forced to do things in the run game that he shouldn't have been forced to do. Um, how does uh, Coach Gidry approach that position? And could someone like a James Williams fit in that spot? Yeah, so I think you touched on it exactly, right? You're going to see a little bit more of a return to the the Manny type of defensive body at that position, right? Where, you know, that individual is going to play a box safety. He's going to play a nickel corner a lot, right? Where he carries that inside route, you know, deep and then hands it off to, you know, an over coverage at that point, but he has to be able to cover it for 10 to 12 yards. And then he's got to be able to tackle in the run game. That player is going to be tasked with being the force player to his side on pretty much every play that he's involved with, right? So a, an individual who has the length to shut down some of those RPO lanes, right, after they, you know, they read and they pull and they throw the slant or they throw, you know, the little hitch behind it, uh, you know, an individual with the length to cover that, an individual with the size to come up into the box and play that strong safety role and tackle and play a force player role and someone who can blitz you know, is really the perfect player for that particular role in this defense. I don't know about you, but that describes a James Williams type player perfectly, right? That describes a Chase Smith type player perfectly for this defense, right? Those are individuals that we already have in this defense that if you can get them motivated and you can get them to embrace that role with a little bit more of that tackling physicality and that force player and that going after the quarterback, part of things that maybe we've heard James Williams doesn't want to do in the past. If you get him to embrace that role, I think you can make him a lot of money and really enhance his draft prospects in a role like that, much more than asking him to play a traditional safety position that we asked him to play a lot of last year. They really did start moving him down more later in the year. You saw that, um, you know, you saw him make some plays and you actually saw him, you know, have some coverage ability, but he, he, has tended in the past to want to talk about that safety role. But if he embraces that overhang box safety, nickel corner hybrid role that we've seen, you know, get popular at the college game, I, I really think he could thrive. Yeah. The length, I mean, just a hidden defense that he brings with the length of just enforcing folks to adjust passing lanes. I mean, 
it's it's not necessarily a pass deflection or just perfect coverage. It's just his presence out there. Uh, it's so unique, and I think would make a big difference uh, in the right scheme, which hopefully this one is. Um, you know, one thing I always liked about your breakdowns is you watch the film, you know, use the eyes. You also dive into the numbers. So we talked about the eyes. What are some of the numbers, deeper numbers? I gave you the surface numbers earlier, but the deeper numbers associated with uh, with Gidry's performance on defense. Yeah, so so often, you know, we get overly caught up in the film of something we liked or something that was cool, right, that stood out. We call that vividness bias, if, if you want to talk about the way it is with the human brain. But I also, I want to know what are the numbers tell me, right? Because the results are what actually happened. And so I like to dive into that as well. So what I did was I went and looked at all of the Marshall games. I looked at what they did against their opponents, FBS opponents only. I, I took out the Bethune-Cookman types. And then what did those teams do against everybody else they played, right? So you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, apples to apples that way, right? And so nine of the 11 opponents that Marshall had last year, they held them under their yards per play uh, data. I, I went in and I, I calculated the standard deviations of the offense as well. What that does is tells me the variability, right? Is it, a, is it an offense that one day scores 60, the next week scores 10? That's really like the basics of what standard deviations are trying to do. Uh, you know, and, and Marshall held their opponents more than one standard deviation of, of below their norm five of the 11 times uh, this season. Miami did that once, you know, out of 11 games. And so Miami allowed their opponent to go over six yards per play, you know, almost on average for the season, but in one, two, three, four, five games, they allowed their opponent to go over six yards per uh, play. Marshall had that happen once, and it was against Troy, and it was one of those games where they had that aggressiveness that we talked about work against them, right? So there's there's something called variance, which is basically like what are the range of outcomes that can happen, right? And so sometimes you're going to have variance goes against you, right, which is the bad things that can happen do happen against you in that game. And that really happened – you know, against Troy, they still gave up 16 points in that game. They lost 16 to seven, but they gave up, you know, some of those explosive plays uh, on those on those deep passes really skewed their their yards per play numbers a little bit in that game. Those are some of the things that really stood out for me is the consistently holding teams well below their norms. And in many cases, you know, over a standard deviation below what their norms are, whereas Miami consistently allowed offenses to go above what their norms were. We all know that, you know, the, the middle Tennessee state debacle where they averaged 8.3 yards of play, but, you know, we averaged hit allow or averaged 8.1 yards per play at the end of the season. So as a defense normally is looking to get better as the year goes along, right? Miami has one of their worst performances in the last game of the year, whereas, the last seven games in a row for Marshall, they held every single opponent below their norms and most of them well below their norms on the season. So their defense got much better as the year went along. And that's even including, you know, their very good performance against a Notre Dame team that I don't think anyone will tell you they had more talent than. Yeah. You know, one thing we haven't even talked about is Marshall's offense was horrible. The, the fact that they won nine games is insane when you look at how bad their offense was very comparable to ours, maybe even worse. Um, and, and to win nine games, it tells you a lot about the defense. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Lance, just 
one just give me one thing that you're really looking forward to seeing next year in spring uh, with this Gidry defense. What's one? What's the one thing? You're just one thing that you're looking forward to seeing and and uh, and getting your eyes on with this defense with Miami athletes. Yeah, you know, you touched on it earlier too. I, I want to see how do they handle their front, right? Are they going to do the simulated pressures the way that they did them last year? If you really think of the way Georgia handles their front, you know, and, and Georgia, the back-to-back national champion, that's, of course, a lofty, you know, milestone to get to. But what Georgia really does defensively that allows them to stand out is they do what's called simulated pressures, where they, you know, bring those individuals to the line of scrimmage, stand them up, move them around and do those things where you don't know where they're coming from. And that confuses the that confuses the quarterback. And on the back end, they, they can still cover long enough to get there. So so is, are we going to create that what they did at Marshall? Or are we going to do, you know, maybe what Gidry has done at some other stops? where, you know, it was more of a traditional three, four, more of a traditional, you know, uh, four down, two up, five, four, two, five type defense. I'm really interested in seeing how do they arrange the different body types, you know, along the defensive line and, and how are they going to attack that? I, I'm, I personally believe the future of defense is that simulated pressure, is that link that that strong safety nickel corner position that shrinks, you know, some of that RPO game. And I'm excited to see Miami kind of get to more of that innovative defense than what we had last year, which was very bend and break. And, you know, if if you read my stuff, I was pretty vocal about the fact that I did not believe in Kevin Steele's defense. I see this as an upgrade on what we had under Kevin Steele. I have no, no, you know, bones about making that very clear on your podcast that I think they've upgraded with this hire. Well, Lance, it's great to see you back. Don't be a stranger. Hopefully we're talking about, you know, some wins. We lost you for a second, and, you know, there wasn't really much to talk about. Those breakdowns were pretty painful. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we'll get some more uh, enjoyable breakdowns this season uh, with some of the performances on the field. But glad to have you back. I know Kane's Inside Nation appreciates it, and uh, looking forward to watching this defense fly around, man. All right, thanks for having me, man. Take care. Go Canes.